As the Seahawks gear up for a must-win rematch with the 49ers, could they have both of their standout young backs returning to action? We'll be breaking down Seattle's latest injury report going into Week 14 on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here. On the return of our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in West Seattle or in Charlotte, North Carolina. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're drawing closer to week 14, a quick rematch. Seahawks and 49ers, they just played like five minutes ago, but they will be playing again at Levi Stadium, and this is truly a must-win for the Seahawks, who sit at 6-6 six and six and outside of the playoff picture currently with five games left to play. We'll be discussing what the Seahawks need to do to get that signature victory and snap a four-game losing streak to the 49ers. We'll have our weekly picks to click, game predictions, and much more. Courtesy of DoorDash, a few minutes ago, I placed my very own DoorDash order to get my favorite local meal from Jet City Pizza in Newcastle. It should be here before the show is over. I'm really excited. So a big thank you to DoorDash for lunch. Place your order today using the promo code LOCK23. Stay tuned later in the episode to hear more from our friends at DoorDash. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks entered this week's practice despite having extra days off from a Thursday night game against the Cowboys with a number of notable players on the injury report. On Wednesday, Ken Walker III and Zach Charbonnet were both out. Leonard Williams was out. Jamal Adams was out. Jordan Brooks was out. A bunch of key starters and role players sidelined. That list shrunk some yesterday, Nick, though, and maybe the most intriguing news going into this rematch against the 49ers. Ken Walker III was not available when these two teams met on Thanksgiving night. He had just suffered that oblique injury a few days earlier in a loss to the Rams. They haven't had him in the last couple of weeks, but according to Pete Carroll, he's moving really well. And yesterday he was upgraded to a limited participant, as was Zach Charbonnet with his bruised knee. So things are at least trending in the right direction with a few days left until kickoff for the Seahawks to maybe have both of their top running backs, which I think would be a big deal, especially in this case. Ken Walker III had a pretty good playoff game against the 49ers last year in Santa Clara. This is an opponent where his explosiveness would be an invaluable addition to the offense going into this football game. Yeah, when I was doing the podcast, the uh, crossover with Brian and the 49ers, uh, they were asking about the running backs, and I was pretty pessimistic. Uh, and as the week has gone, kind of progressed, uh, the running back room seems to have getting more, be getting more and more optimistic. And boy, if, if Ken Walker the third can play in this game and just give him that boost, you know, I, you know, Zach Charbonnet this year at least has been a, a pretty decent, you know, change of pace, kind of one A one B kind of running back. But I'm not quite sure he's ready for that, you know, RB one status. And he's been limited in, in some opportunities. 
Ken Walker is the guy, and if he can, if he's healthy enough to play, he's got to he's got to play because it's it's so so important. And I'm wondering if you know the Seahawks are kind of pushing the envelope a little bit because of uh, we, we talked about that too on the crossover episode. There's a desperation factor with the Seahawks right now. Absolutely should be. Um, and when you're a bit desperate, I think you know player like players that m- might be limited in practice, maybe in week one, maybe don't play, but. When we're talking week 14, heading into, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas here in the in the late late season window, Ken Walker the third, if if he can go, he's got to go. I mean, this is a game you gotta have, you gotta have your horses in the stable. We'll talk about this in the matchups, but um Ken Walker the third and Zach Charbonnet both being able to play would be a huge boost to the Seahawks chances, especially when they're dinged up a lot of other places too. Yeah, they have a, a number of other players that are still in the injury report. Jamal Adams being upgraded to limited with his knee situation. Abe Lucas was still limited. And I wrote an article about this today, Nick. Abraham Lucas was talking yesterday. It's very evident that he is not 100%. He's still dealing with some discomfort, but he feels good enough to be able to play and play at a high level. So they are going to exercise caution during the week to make sure that he is ready when they get to game day. And then hopefully in the offseason, they can figure out what's going on and get this taken care of. But they're not able to do that right now and have him be ready to play. So they're going to be cautious with him. Anthony Bradford's had a sore knee for several weeks. There's just a number of guys. You get this stage of the season, you're just hoping to have guys available on game day. And so you're trying to ease them back into action. And Leonard Williams is on pace to play a rare 18-game season. So if he's a little banged up, give him some rest as well. I'm expecting him and Jamal Adams are both going to be available for this game. I also expect that Geno Smith is going to be available. He cropped up on the injury report yesterday with a groin injury. And just before we hit the record button here today, Nick, Sean Mannion, the veteran quarterback who spent – like 10 minutes of the Seahawks in training camp a year ago. He has been brought back on the practice squad after Brett Rippon was signed by the New York Jets to their active roster earlier this week. So it's insurance at the quarterback position. From what I've been told, there's really nothing to worry about with Geno Smith's availability this weekend. But the fact that there is another injury, he's still recovering from that tricep uh, elbow injury that he suffered a few weeks back, still not quite 100% there. Now he's got a groin injury that he's nursing Got to have a veteran that knows the system. And Mannion has played in this system, both with the Rams earlier in his career and obviously spent some time with the Seahawks. So he can hit the ground running as an insurance policy for them. But they'll obviously be hoping for Geno Smith and Drew Locke to be the quarterbacks on Sunday when they play the 49ers. Let's be clear. If anyone besides Geno Smith isn't playing, is, is playing quarterback, this is not going to be an enjoyable Sunday, I don't think. Um, another one of notes, um, Jordan Brooks, I think we can both agree is probably not going to play. Um, sounds like that, you know, got very long odds of that sprained ankle. Devin might be the Devin Bush and Bobby Wagner show again. Devin Bush played 58 snaps last week to pretty mixed results. Um, you know, as you'd expect from a backup off ball linebacker, but, um, he's got some physical ability. Of course, we've, we've been over the Devin Bush profile several times at nauseum. And, you know, he's got some limitations. And obviously, this defense is better with Jordan Brooks in the lineup. Um, but Devin Bush is probably one of the better, you know, backup linebackers you can probably get in the market here, uh, you know, if you're looking for one. So um, pairing him with with Bobby Wagner isn't the worst thing in the world. And I expect him uh, to get lots of action. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, the Devin Bush and, and Bobby Wagner show probably in the middle. 
This is why you brought in Devin Bush. You didn't know if Jordan Brooks is going to be ready for the start of the season. He made that remarkable comeback from a torn ACL and was able to start in week one. But you brought in Devin Bush because he's got more than 30 career starts under his belt, and he is a former first-round pick. You expect him to be able to come into the lineup and give you quality contributions. It's going to be a tough task, but he did get over 50 snaps last week, so he's going to be in a little better position now to be able to handle that with a spot start for Jordan Brooks. If indeed that ends up happening, it does look to be trending that direction. Up next, we're going to be looking at our keys to victory on offense and defense. How can the Seahawks snap a three-game losing streak this season and a four-game losing streak to the 49ers at the same time? We'll be looking at some keys to victory on offense and defense. Up next here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Why root for your team on an empty stomach? That's a game day travesty that ensures you won't be cheering at your very best. Or on DoorDash and save on football watch party favorites. Right now, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order using the DoorDash app and entering the code LOCKED23 when I'm kicking back and watching the game with friends and family, as I'm going to be doing here soon. I love to have Jet City Pizza, my favorite gluten-free pizza place in the Seattle region, and make sure there's a two-liter root beer and some cinnamon sticks for the rest of the party as well. DoorDash makes the process easy so I don't have to leave the comfort of my couch for delicious, great-tasting food before and after kickoff. Since it's so simple, I've ordered Jet City so much off the DoorDash app. The people who manage the restaurant, they know me by name. Ready to satisfy your taste buds on game day? Quench those cravings with your favorite local restaurants via DoorDash. Get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order by downloading the DoorDash app and entering the code LOCKED23. Subject to change, terms apply. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by my co-host in crime, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for your 24-7 sports coverage. With the top sports stories of the day, they've got local experts of Locked On plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, Nick. It is time to start talking about keys to victory, which it does feel like it has been a long time since the Seattle Seahawks have been on the winning side. They've lost three games in a row for their last five. They haven't beaten the 49ers since 2021. It feels like it's been longer than that. The 49ers have dominated this series. What do the Seahawks need to do? We got to see a glimpse of this a few weeks ago, the mistakes the Seahawks made early that allowed the 49ers to pounce, build a huge early lead. What do the Seahawks need to do on offense to give themselves a fighter's chance to knock off the 49ers on the road on Sunday? Well, let's start with not allowing Geno Smith to get sacked six times. <laughs> let's start there, first <laughs> of all. Um, and uh, you know, Pro Football Focus credited the 49ers with 25 pressures as well with six sacks. I'm gonna go, you know, we like we talk about with this. You know, it's it's now my ESPN app says it's 11 point spread when you're that much of an underdog. You got to have some aggressive keys to victory. And for this, I'm going to say two sacks or less for Geno Smith in this game. So going from six allowed in that Thanksgiving debacle 
to two or fewer. Um, that's of course easier said than done. Uh, the Seahawks are are six and three when Geno Smith is sacked two or less times, and zero oh and three obviously when sacked more than twice. And yeah, going from six to two is quite. You know, especially on the road might be a bit of, of an ask, but, you know, it's it's like the old man and the emperor's new groove. You know, the sacks throw off your groove. Check, chuck it out the window. Don't throw off your groove because nothing throws off your groove on offense more than getting behind the chains, allowing sacks, especially against a defense that is as talented and bloodthirsty. I'm, I'm going to use that term for the 49ers as, as they looked, you know, in Philadelphia. I know they got up super big for that game and. Maybe we can hope for a little lit down, um, but with the Seahawks, you know, you can't give them those chances to put you off schedule because then they can really tee off. Yeah, you look at the last four games, Nick. The 49ers have had three or more sacks in three of those games. They've had at least nine quarterback hits in three of those four games. You look at the best example of the Seahawks holding up, though, it really was the playoff game last January. Geno Smith, other than a fumble that he unfortunately lost in the red zone in the second half, other than that play, the 49ers actually didn't have much success getting after him in that game. He only got sacked twice, and they were in that football game for two and a half quarters, and then things really unraveled after that forced fumble. That play really dropped a bunch of dominoes with the type of mistake they could not afford to have happen, but... You saw in that game when Geno Smith had a little bit of time to operate, they were able to get the ball out quickly. They ran the ball well enough that they were able to get their play-action game going, got a 50-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf in the first half of that game. They were ahead at halftime. A big part of that was the pass protection held up. And we saw this front line hold up pretty well against the Cowboys, who have a pretty similar pass rush in terms of potency. They were able to protect Geno Smith. He wasn't sacked at all last week. The only sack was on DJ Dallas on a fake pass that they were trying to make. So pass protection was pretty good last week. Can you replicate that against the 49ers who do have a little more depth in the pass rushing department and Nick Bose is as good as anybody. Can you replicate it? If they can, they've got a decent chance to win this game. For me, I just mentioned some of those big plays that the Seahawks were able to have in that playoff game. I think they got to let it fly some. You need to have three or more explosive pass plays off of play action in this game. And there's a few things that are going to help set that up. Can you run the ball well enough that you can stick with it, sustain some drives, get that defense on their heels a little bit? But they were able to do this in the first half of that playoff game. And this is one of the reasons they were ahead at halftime, Nick. They got that 50-yard bomb off of play action to DK Metcalf. He had Charvarius Ward a couple times in that first matchup. He had a few steps on him. One of them, he couldn't get his feet down inbounds. And then the other one, Geno Smith, underthrew just a little bit. The opportunities were there, and they couldn't execute. They couldn't finish the plays. I think they can get some of those shot plays here. Obviously, pass protection is the thing that really boils down here. But if you can run the ball enough to get some of those play-action passes, I think if they can get three or more explosive pass plays off of play-action, it tremendously improves their chances of being able to put points on the board against this really good defense. They have done it in the past just in too small a spurts. This needs to be a four-quarter effort, getting that run game and play-action passing game going. I think if they can do that, that is really a key for them to be able to have a chance to win this football game. Yeah, Geno Smith, fifth in the NFL in completion percentage and, and play-action passes, third in the NFL in passing attempts over 20 yards. So that, that kind of checks out. Um, you know, keep taking those shots. And the Seahawks also only got into the red zone once in, in that uh, it even got down to the seven yard line 
against the 49ers, kicked a field goal in order to finish, you know, in order to finish a drive, you need to sustain one first. And uh, they even had trouble doing some of that. The Seahawks only had four drives or four, uh, only had one drive of more than four plays in that first half. And you got to finish those drives. You got to get in the red zone and score two touchdowns in this. Again, we're talking aggressive, aggressive keys to victory because, you know, you're a big underdog on the road. And uh, this is going to be a tall task against the 49ers defense that is number one in fewest trips allowed to the red zone on defense. So you got to score two touchdowns against that defense. This is Shane Waldron. You got to have your your master class hat on and really maybe coaching for his job. I hope he coaches like that. And I hope that Clint Hurt coaches that way on defense because I felt like Seattle came out very passive on the defensive side of the football early in that first matchup against the 49ers. We saw what happened. San Francisco just marched right down the field and punched the ball into the end zone on a Debo Samuel run. It was like stealing candy from a baby. This defense was able to make some plays in the second half, but by that point, it was far too late. They had fallen behind far too far at that stage. And so they've got to be more aggressive from the outset. And that is going to lend itself to this defense being able to get the job done. For me, the first key on defense against this 49ers offense, I think that the Seahawks have got to manufacture two or more turnovers and not just that. This is really an offense coming from defense thing. You need to turn those turnovers into double-digit points, so at least a touchdown and a field goal off of those. If you want to bridge the gap when you're the underdog, the best way to do that is creating turnovers. We saw him get a touchdown, a pick six from Jordan Brooks. That was the only touchdown they had in the entire game. And it made it that the Seahawks looked like they might have a chance. If they could have scored a touchdown on that one red zone trip, it's a one score game with more than a quarter left to play. We might be having a different discussion. Momentum would have completely swung to the home sideline. They couldn't cash in though. But those are the kind of plays that you have to have to really bridge that gap. They need to create those turnovers. Then the offense has got to be able to capitalize off them and put points on the board. Yeah. I, you know, being plus two in turnover margin here, I don't think will be good enough. I think, you know, they basically kind of, you kind of alluded to that. They needed, they need to make up the, you know, the Vegas spread um, difference in points in turnovers on and points off turnovers. And for, it was 10 and a half. Now it's 11, but 10 points off turnovers, at least, you know, they've done that three times this year and, you know, go figure they're three and zero when they do that. <laughs> so um, seems like a winning formula. And also another winning formula is not, you know, letting Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey just run wild on you. Brenda Ayuk had two catches of over 20 yards in that first matchup. Debo had one. Ray Ray McLeod had one. I mean, they were just letting anyone loose. Um, for, and Christian McCaffrey had three runs of 10 plus yards. Elijah Mitchell and uh, Debo Samuel each had one. So you got to limit those explosive plays. Um, no more than seven. Uh, for this game and you know that's kind of sounds silly a little bit but it's the 49ers they're going to get they're going to get some explosive plays you got to like it's it's the the classic slow them down because you probably can't stop them they had seven of them in the first half alone in that first matchup so if you can find a way to limit them to that for an entire game and not let any of those be like 50 60 yard game breaking touchdowns you can live with giving up a handful of 20 yard plays but you got to find a way to limit them to field goals off of that. And this really lends into what, to me, is the most important key for this defense going into this game, especially after seeing the way things have gone the last couple of weeks. This football team has been atrocious at getting ball carriers to the ground. 
they already are nearing 90 missed tackles for the season. They had 77 all of last year, according to pro football reference. They're close to 90 now. And they had horrible times trying to get Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Jawan Jennings to the ground. I mean, you name it, every guy in San Francisco's offense seemed to be making guys miss and breaking through tackles. This team has struggled mightily in that capacity. And so for me, eight or fewer missed tackles, I think this is as critical as anything. If you can find a way to get guys to the ground consistently, don't let these plays that you have a chance to make slip from your grasp. We saw that so much in the first game between these two teams. And we've seen it a lot the last two years. The 49ers are as good as anybody at creating yardage after the catch, creating yardage after contact in the run game. The Seahawks cannot allow that to happen in bulk. They, there's going to be some plays where guys slip away. But this offense is that good. But you can't miss a bunch of tackles and expect to be able to go on the road and win this game. So limit the explosives and limit the missed tackles. Those two things by default, your defense is going to be better regardless of the opponent you're playing, but especially a team like this that is loaded on the offensive side of the ball. Up next, we are going to switch gears to our picks to click and game predictions here on our Blue Friday episode of Locked On Seahawks which is brought your way by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And it's just you against the numbers. You don't have to worry about battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks. It's just you picking more than or less than on two to six player stat projections to watch the winnings roll in. Prize Picks is really simple to play. I can make all my selections and submit entries in less than 60 seconds. And with basketball season here, I love the combo projections with football and basketball in the specials league. For example, I can have Clay Thompson and Jackson Smith and Jigba at 10.5 three-pointers plus receptions. Price Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return to the second, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform that offers an insurance policy for injuries. Price Picks is an absolute blast each week, and it's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without the hassle and land quick winnings. So go to pricepicks.com right now, slash locked on NFL. Use the code locked NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL, and use the code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Don't forget, coming up after the game on Sunday, a few hours after the final whistle, Rob Rang will be joining me for our weekly post-game show. We'll have our three up, three down, our game ball winners, key storylines, and much more. Make sure you're listening in again. That'll happen a few hours after the final whistle at Levi Stadium. Hopefully, we'll be breaking down a Seahawks victory this time around. Let's get to our weekly picks to click. And again, Nick, you know, you look at the last two or three weeks, the Seahawks have been stinking in the win-loss column. We haven't necessarily been faring well with our picks to click either. They've gone together. So, you know, I'm looking to kind of switch things up a little bit, just trying to find a way to get some good fortune with my picks to click. And sometimes you got to think outside the box. But 
Let's start on the offensive side. Who is your pick to click going into this game on offense for the Seahawks, the player that you expect a big game from that needs to have a big game for the Seahawks to have a chance to win? Well, I think I went a bit more mainstream than you did, but um, I'm going with guys I think have pretty good matchups in this game. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, has one of the better matchups on offense in this game. Uh, Demondor Lenore um, really, I think, struggled against uh, against Jackson Smith and Jigba that first time around. And I, I think there's rumors perhaps that they're going to you know maybe switch or switch out with Oliver, their other slot corner, kind of switch things around. But even then, I read on Pro Football Focus that among 34 NFL slot defensive backs with at least 75 slot receiver coverage snaps this season, Lenore and Oliver both rank 30th or worse in catch rate allowed. So I think if there is one little soft spot with the 49ers, it could be that slot. So give me Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's really come on strong since that slow start. He's got uh, he's averaging 51 yards per game the last five games, which is a huge jump from less than 30 per game in his first seven games. So give me Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think it was six catches, 83 yards and a score, which would be a huge boost for this team. I'm going to go with a player that I have been burned by two times already this year. And, and it's just because I'm looking at the matchup and I'm just thinking this offense, we saw it against the Cowboys last week. This offense is just so much better when they get the tight ends involved in the passing game, especially when they're working out of the slot. You mentioned the slot struggles that this 49ers defense has had. They are still missing Hafanga, who is their all pro safety. He's out for the rest of the season. Noah Fant should be a highlighted target going into this game. And since I'm picking him, it's probably not going to happen. But I'm going to continue to roll that dice because at some point he's going to get a touchdown. He had one against the Cowboys that was blown away because of a late timeout call by the Cowboys. It's been that kind of a season for Noah Fant. But I think Fant, four catches, 52 yards, and he gets that touchdown. I think Geno Smith is going to find him in the red zone. I don't know if they're going to get two red zone touchdowns as we said they need to in our keys to victory, but I know one of them is going to go to number 87, and I just trust that at some point the Seahawks are going to continue getting these tight ends involved, and we might see one or two of them get in the end zone. I just think Noah Fant's athleticism against this defense is the best bet for him to be the guy that has a big game for the Seahawks. On the defensive side of the football, I actually noticed this. The player that you are going with, you have picked three of the last five games now with this selection. And honestly, he's been your best bet. So I can understand why you're sticking with him again. Yeah, it's like that chocolate chip cookie, the warm, gooey chocolate chip cookie that keeps me keeps me going. And that's Leonard Williams. Had seven pressures against the 49ers, which was by far more than any other Seahawk in that game. Probably of anyone in that game, maybe besides you know the Jordan Brooks interception, he probably had the best game overall of any Seahawk in that in that matchup. And actually, that was the most pressures by anybody in that game, not named Nick Bosa. So that's a pretty good place to be. So I think I'm, I'm going to double down on that matchup. Leonard Williams, I'm, you know, if he gets seven eight pressures again, I kind of like the chances to to keep the the offense at least not from just blowing you out. We know that Jordan Brooks has, you know, maybe there's a fighting chance that he plays in this game. We'll see what the practice report looks like when it comes out in a couple hours. Maybe he participates on Friday. Maybe he's got a chance. But everything seems to be pointing towards him not being available this week. The fact that only two days ago Pete Carroll said he wasn't ready and then he hasn't practiced the last couple of days, that tells me that the Seahawks are not positive about his availability for this game. And Keeping that in mind, knowing how much the 49ers like to run the football, knowing how much they like to attack 
the middle of the field with their passing game. And we've seen him pick on linebackers. You know what? I'm going to say Devin Bush for my pick. And some of it's just going to be because by default, I'm expecting some quality production just because he's going to have a lot of opportunities as a starting linebacker. But he is a really good athlete. And I'm actually wondering for this game with Jordan Brooks not being himself, not being close to 100%, Devin Bush being healthy, his movement skills – that he might be able to get his hands on a football or two in coverage. So I'm rolling with the backup starting at linebacker over Jordan Brooks, and maybe Brooks ends up starting this game and Bush barely plays. But right now I'm going with Bush to start 10 tackles, a tackle for loss, and a pass breakup in this game. So I'm looking for the former first-round pick out of Michigan to have himself a quality outing starting alongside Bobby Wagner, especially after having more than 50 snaps on defense last week against the Cowboys. This is a great opportunity for him to showcase himself to the entire league because he's going to be a free agent after this year. He wants to start somewhere else next season or if the Seahawks end up bringing him back, this is the opportunity he's been waiting for. And I think he's going to take advantage of it, at least from a statistical standpoint. Now, quickly, game predictions. Seattle's lost four straight to the 49ers and they haven't just lost. They haven't even been within 15 points in any of those games. They have been dominated by their division rivals since the start of the 2022 season. Right now, they are 10.5-point underdogs by FanDuel. Other places, it's more than that. Right now, very few people giving them a fighting chance, especially since they got blown out a couple weeks ago by this same 49ers team at home. Nick, how do you see this rematch unfolding at Levi Stadium? Well, I, I certainly hope the Seahawks act desperate because if they – do anything if it's anything like you know Madden on easy mode, which was Thanksgiving for the Niners. It's it's going to be an indictment on the coaching staff and you know the preparation. It's going to be an indictment on the incompetence of the coordinators to properly prepare. I, I mean, coming out firing because it's this is this is gut check time. This is you know job check time perhaps for for some folks. And you got embarrassed on Thanksgiving on like one of the biggest stages the NFL has to offer. And at your home field, it was it was really embarrassing. And if you got to if that happens, I mean, it, it's time for Pete Carroll and the coordinators to, you know, take Michael Jackson's advice and start looking at the man in the mirror and maybe make a change because this is not going to work. And I'm hoping they find something offensive in in, um, in Dallas either way without major advantages in the turnover margin. I think it's 30 to 20 49ers. Um, I think maybe the Seahawks compete for three quarters and then eventually you know, the 49ers kind of out talent them. Um, but it, it's just without major swings in, you know, luck and in with, with some turnovers, I don't see the Seahawks winning this game on the road. I do think it will be at least marginally more competitive than the previous matchup. Oddly enough, the Seahawks, at least the last couple of years, they have been more competitive against the 49ers on the road. That playoff game, they were ahead at halftime. This team has shown flashes of being able to compete with them. The issue has been there have just been long stretches where the offense has gone completely dormant. There's been stretches where the def defense has given up big plays. Special teams has coughed up the football. If they keep doing those things, they have absolutely no chance to win this game. But if they can play a clean football game, there's no reason to believe the Seahawks cannot go to Levi Stadium and at least be competitive. In fact, you mentioned the word desperation. If there is a time where this team is truly going to live up to that label, this has to be the game. The 49ers are coming off that huge win over the Eagles. This is a prime opportunity for them to have a letdown at home. 
They also have some injuries of their own. There's a chance guys like Eric Armstead might not be available or they're going to be limited on the field. This is the time to pounce. The Seahawks have got to find a way to get it done. I think they know the magnitude of this football game. I think the number of these guys are tired of losing this matchup. And so I'm going with the upset here. And I know a lot of people are going to laugh about this, but I think Seattle plays better at Levi Stadium against this 49ers team than Lumen Field. And I think they're going to avoid those major mistakes, the muffed punts, the issues with pass protection consistency. I think they're going to avoid those issues. And I think they're going to find a way to speed up Brock Purdy a few times to create some turnovers. I think this is the game where those dominoes come together that fall in place for them to win this one. I expect it to be tight throughout. I don't think this is going to be like last January, though, where the Seahawks have a couple bad mistakes that end up causing the 49ers to break the game open. I think they avoid those fateful mistakes and they play clean football to get the win and move to seven and six. We shall see what happens. A lot of people are not giving the Seahawks a chance. I think they absolutely have a a shot, especially if both their running backs are healthy, but Shane Waldron's got to use them if they're healthy and they've got to be solid on third down to sustain drive. If they can do that with the stuff we talked about in the second segment, play a clean football game, create some turnovers. Seattle absolutely has a chance to get the win at Levi Stadium. As always, you can follow me on threads at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Nick on X at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Don't forget, coming up after the game on Sunday, about two hours after the final whistle, Rob Rang and I will be diving into our game balls, three up, three down, and more in our weekly post-game show. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Blue Friday. Go Hawks.